Uh, well, uh, welcome back to the Tribune Festival. I uh, hope everyone had a good lunch and enjoyed their morning sessions. Um, we're going to take a little break now from talking about politics to talk about what uh, people, people should be talking about in Texas on a Saturday afternoon, and that's uh, college sports. Um, and I'm pleased uh, to welcome uh, uh, the University of Texas's new uh, interim athletic director, Mike Perrin, to the stage. Thank you. Thank you. As I'm sure many of you know, Mike is a uh, former uh, UT Longhorn football player, played defensive star, and uh, I believe a Hall of Famer, right? A UT Hall of Famer. Well, it's a Hall of Honor. Hall of Honor. Yes. Okay. Yes. Very good. Um, playing under Daryl Royal, um, then had a uh, long, illustrious career as a, an attorney, always a strong supporter of the university, and uh, now for about a month now have been uh, interim athletic director. Is that right? I believe it's uh, 31 days. Very so. good. Very but, who's, good. but who's counting? Yeah, so. Well, um, it's only been 31 days, but a lot has happened in those 31 days. Uh, we've seen some tough losses uh, from the football team, um, a, a, I'm sure for you, very thrilling uh, victory over the rival OU. Um, what else? We've got some you know, negotiations related to an, an apparel contract that are, that are, I'm sure, heating up. And uh, you know, very sadly, I'll express my condolences now, the, the passing of Bevo recently. Um, so I want to just kind of start off by asking you, um, you know, this is your first kind of foray into university athletics administration. Um, can you just kind of tell me what these, this month has been like? I mean, what's, what's the learning curve for a new athletic director at UT? Uh, the learning curve is uh, steep and fast and furious. Uh, I was uh, appointed to the position on uh, no, uh, September 16th, uh, had a full round of uh, interviews with uh, staff and uh, press conferences that day, meeting with uh, the senior executive staff initially, meeting with the head coaches initially, and then later in the morning meeting with the entire staff uh, to explain who I was and some of the things that I would like to uh, begin working on with the uh, department. Uh, immediately, we had a home game that weekend, so immediately uh, I was pressed into service to visit the various tailgates, the uh, band practice uh, at 1.30. Uh, it was a 6.30 kickoff, but I went on duty about 11.30 that morning, and uh, one of the uh, staff members escorting me around to the various tailgate activities, the Texas X's, uh, the Law School Foundation uh, meeting over there, uh, a letter winners reunion at the tailgate area, a, uh, an interview with the Longhorn Network at four o'clock on their pregame show. Uh, one of the staff members had uh, one of those apps on her watch that tracks the mileage that you go during the day. And luckily I was on a golf cart most of the time, but we put in just under eight miles that day. Uh, then of course we had the game. Uh, being the brand newly appointed uh, athletic director, I was going from suite to suite and parts of the stands, visiting with people uh, uh, all over the stadium. So I got to watch about 10 plays of that game. <laughs> but uh, it was a, a great experience. And to be able, uh, as a former player and then a longtime fan sitting in the stands, to be able to go to all of those tailgates. Uh, there, there was a huge crowd of uh, uh, people up around the uh, uh, track and field, field house. Uh, then over near the engineering building, all up and down out here in this area, I guess to the north of this building, there were tailgates. So it was really fun to get out and uh, shake hands and meet people and thank them for being here and uh, to see the uh, tremendous fan support that showed up at 12.30, 1 o'clock 
for a 6.30 kickoff. And everything from people who worked together perhaps here or in one of our other parts of the state to several groups where they live all over the state but come here to congregate. Uh, one fellow that was talking to me lives in Amarillo, but one of his best friends from his undergraduate days lives in Beaumont. Well, they get together in Austin for the home football games, and it's a tradition they've carried on for, for many years, and that happens all over the campus. So following that weekend, uh, I rushed to Dallas for a meeting of the Division 1A athletic directors, 85 athletic directors from around the country, and of course, I was the newest kid on the block, so uh, I had a really good opportunity to meet a number of athletic directors, all of whom were very helpful and solicitous in, in offering their help on uh, advice or resources or perhaps personal experiences they had had when uh, they first got in that position uh, as athletic directors. So the learning curve uh, has been uh, really astounding. Uh, we deal with so many issues every day of everything from compliance to nutrition to uh, scheduling. It's, uh, it's just a remarkable job that uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed. I really have. It's just been uh, exhilarating. And I think on-the-job training is probably the, the best way to do it. I couldn't find an athletic director's 101 or a refresher course or anything like that to go take. And uh, I mean, I was appointed that morning and went to work immediately and have been there ever since. So it's, it's, it's been, uh, like I say, fast and furious, but exhilarating. Is the, job what you, is the job what you expected? I mean, what, what has surprised you about this role? I guess the biggest surprise to me, uh, just from a, a daily standpoint, has been uh, how many meetings there are uh, that, that fill my day from generally about eight till five or six. Uh, I'm committed four days in advance. Thank goodness you had committed this some time mm -hmm. ago. So when I got your email uh, confirming my appearance, I was glad to know that it was on the calendar and that I could be here. But what that means then is uh, trying to uh, do background reading on some of the issues I'm confronting for the first time or uh, reading the history of something that's happened or other documentation. That tends to be uh, early in the morning or late at night. So uh, the, the days are, are pretty filled with uh, uh, activities that have been scheduled for some time with uh, faculty committees or uh, the Big 12 or uh, like that uh, Division 1A meeting that I mentioned. They're, they're booked, uh, I'm to go, and uh, I go, and then try to fit in some of my educational activities otherwise. So have you gotten a f much of a feel yet for what your priorities need to be, what the areas of the UT Athletics Department in particular that need your focus? Uh, I have, and uh, it's really interesting. Several people uh, outside, friends of mine, had, had suggestions early on that uh, perhaps were well-meaning. Uh, some of them were rather pointed at uh, uh, different things, but the fact of the matter is, when I started, the school year had already started, the academic year had started, seasons had started uh, for those sports that were not yet in competition. Uh, their off-season conditioning and training had started, so uh, there's no opportunity for uh, someone brought in as I was to hit a pause button or a reset button. Uh, it, it didn't happen couldn't happen. I've likened it to the old uh, Western movies I saw in the 50s of uh, there's a big prairie and there's a train track that stretches all across the prairie and there's a train going that way and there's a guy on a horse riding up trying to catch the train and 
as he gets near a boxcar, he grabs a ladder and hangs on. And that's, that's literally uh, the image that flashed through my mind because, uh, you know, to, to start on Wednesday and have a home game that Saturday was really uh, an education. There's a rhythm to game day that starts earlier in the week, but from about 5 o'clock Friday till the game is over, uh, the activity around the stadium is uh, unbelievable. Uh, issues of security, uh, food, uh, lighting, uh, television, there, there, there's a, a really stable crew of people that know exactly what they're doing to provide for the safety and comfort of fans, uh, the players, uh, the officials, uh, everybody that, that, that comes together uh, in a huge place at one point in time for a sporting event that lasts several hours. So um, in terms of priorities, uh, the, the, the one that sunk in immediately to me was the well-being of our student athletes. Uh, and think about it a minute. We as a university uh, recruit uh, all across every discipline. We, we recruit students. And from the athletic department, uh, we look at high school athletes. Uh, we evaluate their uh, athletic abilities. We look at their ability to qualify and participate academically here. Uh, we compare them to other athletes in their same sport to pick folks that we wish to recruit and, and bring here. And once that selection process has begun, uh, our coaches uh, recruit, uh, and that has an impact on the student athletes. It has an impact on their families. Many times uh, an athlete who's coming here is the, uh, the first person in their family to be exposed to and offered the opportunity of a, of a college education. And we all know how transformative that can be for that individual, but also their family and later generations. So we identify and recruit these people. We bring them here, and our, it's our responsibility to look after them uh, from a nutritional standpoint, from a conditioning standpoint, food, housing, medical care, injury prevention, injury treatment, uh, academic counseling, uh, helping select uh, academic majors uh, that, that they wish to go into, uh, helping with, uh, you know, the years from 18 to 22 or 23 are some of the most uh, critical years in, in your life, whether you're in college or in the military or in job training somewhere. Those are years of tremendous growth. And uh, I feel responsibility to see that we as the University of Texas provide the finest facilities and coaches and training, uh, educational opportunities, uh, introduction to faculty members that uh, can help them because not only are those years critical to your later life, uh, the fact of the matter is that most college athletes are not going to have the opportunity to play professional sports. So I think the intercollegiate activity, uh, athletic activities that focus on the whole student, not just on the field, but the whole student, academics, uh, life skills. Uh, let's help this young person become the kind of person that will live a full and productive life throughout their lifetime. And of course, hopefully instill the kind of love and loyalty for the University of Texas that they will continue to support the activities, not only uh, buying tickets and coming, but, but in whatever their major is, the, the, the college that they study in, uh, it, it can have an uh, impact 
far beyond just getting a job and perhaps uh, that, that entry career. It, it really can be transformational of your entire life. And so my responsibility, I feel, is, is to see that that happens. And we have great facilities here. Uh, we have a nutritional center that uh, recently opened that uh, uh, provides uh, healthy, well-balanced meals to, to the athletes. Uh, our sports medicine is some of the finest in the country. Uh, back in the 60s when I was here, uh, a lot of the old style, just heavy weightlifting was being phased out. We had an outstanding crew of uh, physical coaches here, Stanley Burnham, Charlie Craven, and others who worked on uh, conditioning the entire uh, athletic group on uh, strength, endurance, flexibility, uh, doing a lot of the things that are now commonplace, but uh, they were really pioneered here in, in large part and certainly at other universities that, that we competed with. And now our sports medicine people, uh, you know, for instance, people read in the po popular press about issues with concussions. And we, we, we have a heightened awareness of concussions, but the same thing is true in other types of injuries, uh, some of which are specific to sports uh, of, of a given type, uh, perhaps uh, uh, soccer injuries uh, from repetitive uh, head, head shots, things like that. And our physical medicine people uh, work on having a superbly conditioned athlete who is less likely to get injured, but when they do, getting the proper treatment and uh, rehabilitative uh, exercises, therapy that can, can help strengthen that. Uh, then you get to the academic side. Uh, University of Texas, so I was told at the time, uh, again, I enrolled here 50 years ago in August, uh, but we had what was said to be the first brain coach <laughs> in college athletics. Coach Royal had hired a man named Lan Hewlett, who I believe was a high school teacher from Lockhart, and uh, his office was right down the hall from Coach Royal, and you met with uh, Mr. Hewlett to, uh, he would go over your high school transcript and ask what your interests were, what you wanted to do, uh, perhaps later in life. And he was there to counsel you on which courses to take, uh, when, depending on your season. Uh, for instance, I started off thinking I might want to go to medical school or dental school, so I had a lot of science classes early in my tenure as a student. Well, labs had to be in the first part of the week on Monday or Tuesday so that you could practice as you were supposed to. And he worked out all those kind of practical problems uh, a long time ago. Now we have a full-time staff of academic counselors who meet with the students, uh, assess their aptitudes and high school transcripts, things like that, to look at their uh, particular strengths and weaknesses academically, and then help them, uh, in many instances, learn how to study better I came from a small school uh, and, and wasn't exactly prepared for the rigors of the University of Texas. Uh, in terms of my discipline and training, I had 500 people in my freshman philosophy class in my entire high school, only had about 380 in the entire school. So some of the competition and what was expected of you here can be daunting, especially if you're one of those who is the first member of your family to ever attend college. So. In addition to nutrition and all that, we work very heavily with the academic counseling to, to help the students uh, prepare because, as I say, it's, uh, it's transformative, but it has the impact on your life throughout the years to come. 
Uh, those are some of my immediate priorities in dealing with the students. You talked about coming and you know just having to kind of jump on that train that was moving so fast. Um, I think it was probably no secret that around the time that a change in administration was made in the athletics department, that there were people who felt you know maybe that train was going in the wrong direction, or they weren't they weren't pleased with the way things were being run. Um, you know, you had fans who were maybe upset about ticket prices. Um, the the football team was was struggling, which is never you know, never great for morale. Um, but then you, there was also this kind of perception, at least among some people, that the, the department was being run uh, too much like a professional team or like a business and not necessarily with enough care for kind of the traditions and the people that helped build UT into the powerhouse that it is. I'm curious whether um, once you arrived, you found that, you found much validity to those complaints and whether you have been able to or will be able to kind of change that perception in the coming months and weeks? I think that the uh, uh, complaints that you mentioned were uh, widespread. I certainly uh, had received emails and comments uh, just as a, a private citizen of people uh, complaining about such things as ticket prices and perhaps uh, an overly uh, uh, intense focus on dollars. Um, my uh, feeling is that the athletic department at the University of Texas, uh, which has always been self-sustaining, needs to continue to do that. But uh, we certainly don't need to throw out the traditions that we've had of uh, being uh, fan-friendly and trying to renew our uh, season ticket holders' uh, preferences. Uh, President Finbis, in his inauguration uh, speech on September 17th, denoted the university's athletics program as the front porch of, of the university. And I've heard people also refer to it as, as the front door. And again, because of the time of year, let's just take football. We recruit thousands of people to come in here and engage in the activities I described earlier, uh, tailgating and reunions, things that happen not only on the campus, but hotels and other meeting places around here. Uh, Schultz Garden, uh, you know, there are just a lot of places that are so traditional to people's game time, game day, game weekend activities. And I think we need to foster all of that and, and continue to build on it. Uh, in terms of changes, uh, I think there probably will be some changes. Uh, describing the uh, man on the horse running up, uh, this season the die had been cast, decisions made, and certainly uh, uh, Coming in on a Wednesday with a game on, on Saturday, uh, my immediate goal was to see that the uh, game day operations people did their job, which they're thoroughly professional and they do anyway. But uh, I want to have a, uh, I've described it as a, a family homecoming, a family reunion. To me, uh, I mean, I've, I've got an, a classmate, Joe Cryer, wandered in back here a few minutes ago. We said hello. That's the kind of, you come to a game here, whatever the sport is. Uh, baseball in the spring is a little slower paced because of the way baseball is, but you see people that you, you, you don't see every day because they don't live in your hometown or perhaps you're not in the same profession. And uh, a collegiate atmosphere to me is people choosing to be here because they have ties here. Maybe they didn't come here, but their child now comes here or uh, they were a high school coach and their star athlete is now here and they, they want to come watch him or her compete in some great sport. To me, that's the difference of 
uh, watching college scholar athletes play where they're here for a bigger purpose in life and not just because they're getting paid to do their sport. There's nothing wrong with that. I live in Houston where we've had you know, great pro teams and baseball, basketball, and football at different times. And that's just a different, those people are getting paid to play and that's their end game at that time. But for the college students, you know, you watch somebody come in as a freshman and four years later, they're playing their sport as a senior and hopefully they're bigger, faster, stronger because of natural maturation that occurs at that point in life. But they're also well on the way to becoming the doctor, lawyer, engineer, businessman, whatever it is that, that we've also nurtured, not just the physical person, but we've nurtured that uh, academic side, that interest in uh, getting an education and giving back to society. And to me, that's just a fundamental difference between uh, going to an arena to watch a pro team play uh, and, and, and the collegiate experience there. Uh, to me, the, the pro game is more transactional, whereas the collegiate game is hopefully transformative, not only for those playing, but for their families and, and friends around them. So you said you think there could be changes you know, in the future. In what areas are we, are we talking about here? Well, the uh, main email I get uh, people complain about has to do with, uh, with tickets, uh, some of it with uh, different types of entertainment. Uh, at different sports, uh, it, it uh, to me is an open uh, issue. I'm, I'm still trying to learn what some of the complaints are. And you have to remember that whenever you have change, some people embrace that change and some people don't. So uh, let's just take some of, the, some of the music at some of the sporting events where we have DJs and things like that. I, I get letters, people like it, and I get emails, people don't like it. So, you know, uh, it, that's that's just that's an open question, and I, I haven't been here long enough to say what I'm going to change. Uh, I guess the uh, one of the truisms is that change is always going to occur, whether you uh, you know are forecasting it and uh, prescribing it or not. But uh, I'm I'm open to all inquiries. You know, I think one of the benefits of a I guess being a pro organization is that there's an owner, and that's the guy you need to make happy, right? Here, I'd imagine it's probably safe to say that you hear a lot of opinions from a lot of different people, including, and many of those people are probably important to the department in some kind of way, whether it's financially or, you know, they, uh, they contribute in some manner to the success of the university and athletics department. I mean, is it a problem? I mean, you, when, when there was a change in athletics department administration, um, I, you heard, um, especially some in like the national media, people talking about how being the athletics department of athletics director of UT is a, such a difficult job because there's so many people you have to keep happy. I mean, is that is that a handicap at all for UT that that there's there's so much kind of political uh, tightrope walking that that someone has to do to to run things here? Quite the contrary, I think it's a real strength. Uh, let, let me comment first on your lead-in about, uh, about, about the pro teams. Typically there is uh, an owner or a small group of owners and uh, uh, they have their television contracts and all that and you know that, that is a business and it's being run for a specific season whether it's football, baseball, whatever it is, it, it's, it's, it is a business and it's got the usual issues of uh, you know meeting the uh, budget, paying the payroll, and whatever league or other regulations they need to meet with. But uh, I think that having uh, stakeholders in 
a program like the University of Texas is a good thing. Uh, our foundation, for instance, this year had almost 15,000 members. Uh, and, and those tend to be uh, committed uh, fans who come to the games, who come to practice, who attend football, baseball, basketball, whatever their choice uh, or choices of sports may be. They have a relationship to the school that is not just the transaction of buying a ticket. They like the school. They like the athletic program. You'll find many of them give across campus to the their area of major or undergraduate studies. So uh, I think it's it's helpful. Now, every now and then on a Monday when I click on the computer, uh, and I, I've only had, I guess, four of them, but uh, the, the, the email sometimes or... Uh, shall we say, divided in opinion of, of uh, what I should do that week. Mm -hmm. But uh, that, that goes with the territory. Uh, I'm told that when Mac Brown interviewed years ago to become the head coach here, that he asked Coach Darrell Royal, Coach, tell me the main reason I should come to be the head coach of the University of Texas. And he's quoted as saying, Mac, every day, 20 million people in the country care about the University of Texas football program. And the story is that Mac thought about it for a few minutes and then said, okay, now tell me the cons. Tell me every reason I should not become the head coach at the University of Texas. And supposedly Coach Ross said, Mac, every day, 20 million people. <laughs> so I think it's good though. I, I, I would uh, worry if, uh, if I wasn't hearing from people and you get everything from a one sentence uh, email that's positive or negative to some lengthy uh, reasoned uh, letters from uh, perhaps a retired faculty member who's expressing comments on something. It, it's really interesting to sit in that chair and uh, be the uh, focal point who's receiving uh, views from a lot of people, uh, some here in Austin, others uh, all across the country. Uh, but I think it's good. I think it shows the level of emotional attachment that uh, our alumni and fans and uh, families of alumni and fans have in our athletic program. I think it's healthy. So you've been in this job for a month now, um, gotten a sense of what it is. Uh, what would you think of, has it occurred to you, do you think you might wanna do it longer? I mean, any, any, any goal of taking that interim off the interim athletics director title? Well, I get asked that question, and you need to remember that's not my call. Uh, Mr. President uh, asked me to come serve as the interim athletic director, and uh, that's, that's, that's his decision, and certainly I'll abide by it. I have been surprised how much I've enjoyed the job, uh, even with all the uh, hectic nature of uh, the meetings I've described earlier and all that. It's, it's, uh, I think it's, at my age, it's fun to come back with a sense of uh, rekindling uh, some traditions that perhaps have uh, uh, not been uh, uh, as important to others, uh, to, to give back, to meet people, to, to become acquainted now in some instances with the children and grandchildren of people I knew a long time ago. Uh, it's, I think particularly for someone my age, it is a, uh, it's a different experience than if I were, let's say, 40, trying to make a career out of being an athletic director or someone involved in athletics, uh, you know, for the, for the rest of my life. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, President Finvis did make a funny comment the other day. Uh, he said, if I'd given you a month to think about it, 
you might not have taken the job. <laughs> and I said, well, that, that's possible. But when he called, uh, it, it just dawned on me, this will never come my way again if I pass on it. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a very young person for my age, in my opinion. But uh, it wouldn't come again. And I thought, I'm going to do this. I, I love the University of Texas. It transformed my life. And I want to play, even if it's a small part, I want to play a part in helping that same effect bestow upon 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds and, and those who come behind them. It's a, uh, it's a remarkable uh, chair to sit in and think about uh, what this university does. And of course, I'm seeing it from an office where I look at the tower every day. But from that same office, I see the other great buildings where others are doing the same thing in academic fields that, uh, where we have some of the best scholars in the world. It's, it's a remarkable research university, and uh, I've loved being a part of it. And if he uh, told me tomorrow he wanted somebody else, I'm still going to be a part of it because even though I left here years ago, there's a part of me that never left, that's always been here, and that will always come back and will always be here. So uh, we'll see what transpires. Okay, very good. So um, are you able, in the interim role, are you able to think long-term about the, the future of the department and you know where it's gonna be five, 10 years from now? I think you have to do that. Uh, I, I'm not there as a mere caretaker, and uh, we have uh, long-term issues to look at uh, that, that cover the gamut of the different departments we have. So uh, I'm uh, taking the long view, and will continue to do so as long as I'm there. Okay. So then let's uh, let's peer into the future then and ask some questions. You know, I, I, obviously understanding that. Uh, you won't specifically know the exact answer to all of these, but some of these issues that people are thinking about, you know, 10 years from now, five, 10 years from now, where, uh, where are the Longhorns going to be playing basketball? Uh, that's a question that does come up frequently. We, we all know it will not be at the Frank Irwin Center. The, uh, the medical school uh, is uh, rapidly progressing over there, and uh, uh, certainly uh, I've heard different time frames. I've heard six years. I've heard 10 years. But uh, that's something we're all looking at. The uh, university for some years has had a master plan and uh, will continue to work on that. Uh, Pet Club uh, does a great job of overseeing all the construction and coordination of uh, facilities here and uh, operations. Uh, it, it's, it's a massive undertaking and it's given me great comfort to meet with her and know the uh, work that she has done and supervised with uh, others on everything from uh, traffic to parking to utilities. Uh, all of these things uh, have to continue to work and function, just as I described, the, you know, once the, the school year goes on, it, uh, the, 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 the repetitive nature of academia and research. You, you can't just close off a uh, part of the university. Maybe you can physically restrict a block where construction is going to be, but before you do that, You've got to house those people and those facilities and whatever research is going on so that it, it becomes a big uh, process of almost like playing checkers. You've got to create a place before you can close down another one. Uh, there have been proposals that, that I've seen uh, from, from outside of uh, perhaps an arena, including uh, a, a city component, a county component, or others that would uh, have a, uh, an arena that uh, could be configured in different ways and use different 
times for other facilities. The Urban Center, uh, like many people, I have gone to it for almost 40 years, I guess. I've attended uh, graduation exercises, uh, all sorts of things there through the years, concerts. It's, it's a uh, marvelous facility, but it's behind the times probably functionally compared with what can be done uh, with new construction today. So uh, that place still, it, it'll function uh, on uh, an average year of more than 250 events uh, in a given, time, a given year. And some of those, uh, if you've been to some of the concerts, it takes several days for those huge trucks to come in with the equipment that uh, modern uh, bands perform with. Uh, it, it, it functions very well. I really like the Urban Center, but uh, its days are numbered as the, as the uh, uh, medical school expands. And uh, uh, I know it's on the forefront of uh, planning with, uh, with the Vice President Club and others. Are there particular, uh, I, I know you, you, even if you knew, you couldn't say particular locations, but there are, are there attributes that you would think would be ideal that would make a certain place for a new stadium, a new arena ideal? Uh, as a home for Texas Longhorn basketball, uh, I want it on the campus. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's got to be across the freeway, I would want it adjacent. Uh, th those are my personal preferences. I don't have the uh, experience and the uh, knowledge of the geographic uh, restrictions and utilities and all that goes into it that, uh, that her office does, so I'm not going to uh, speculate, as I said here today, what that would be, but I do know that many of the outstanding basketball arenas around the country are uh, plus or minus 10,000 seats as opposed to some of the larger uh, arenas that you see in some cities. So uh, I, I don't have a fixed opinion on that. I will, by necessity, be involved in conversations in coming months about that. I do want it to be a uh, an arena for Collegiate sports, and to me, that means having access by the uh, by the students that can attend games there. Okay, so continuing with our kind of peering into the future here, um, five ten years from now, is the University of Texas a member of the ten team Big Twelve conference? I would assume so. Uh, you know, the, the the shakeout of uh, conference realignment several years ago uh, put into place the so-called uh, Power Five, and then the next five conferences that uh, uh, perform that way. I, th I think you're going to see uh, the prospect of uh, perhaps uh, individual schools uh, switching allegiance as we've, we've seen some movement uh, in different arenas, not just uh, uh, maybe the whole uh, academic, I mean athletic program, but for some schools they just move football, for instance. Uh, or they rem uh, Notre Dame remains unaffiliated in, in football and independent there, but uh, with the ACC and other sports. I think that will probably uh, remain a factor uh, for everybody going forward. Uh, the big unknown is where conference money is going to come from way out there. Let's go 10 or 15 years. You, you hear about uh, people disconnecting their cable TV because they no longer need to be on a TV. You can get sports activities on the Internet or... Uh, you know, your telephone or whatever, and uh, if that trend continues, uh, then where's the distribution going to be, and where's the money for distribution contracts going to come from, uh, like the big contract we've seen uh, television play, uh, pay in the past to 
the conference. That's what's fueled a lot of this uh, realignment and, and in some instances, uh, stability and structure because people know for a given period of time what the uh, uh, television rights are going to bring and what uh, the prospect of bowl games will bring and all that. But uh, I haven't heard anybody describe exactly how you monetize the distribution of uh, entertainment over perhaps uh, mediums, uh, media of dis uh, dis distribution that we don't even envision right now. Uh, cable television is uh, what we all rely on now, and uh, I think that's a big unknown out there that, that uh, certainly, in my opinion, would impact uh, conference realignment. Do you not see a pressing need to add teams to get a conference championship game in the Big 12? Well, actually, the, the, the Big 12 uh, could have a championship game now. Uh, we could play the round-robin schedule uh, that we've been playing, which I think is, I like that. I like every team playing every other team uh, every year. Uh, it would require uh, action. The, the Big 12 is governed by the presidents of the member institutions. They sit as the board of directors, and uh, they would have to make that decision. But uh, it would be interesting now think about this for a minute. If we play a round-robin schedule of 10 teams playing nine games and we have a championship game, then that means that in the championship game is going to be the team that won the first game when they played the round-robin schedule and the team that lost the first game when they played the round-robin schedule. So instead of the day of the game having these computer matchups like you see where teams that come from different divisions but have not played that year, the and it's great for the television commentators, they get to take the stats from each team and do a hypothetical matchup if they haven't played. Well, our round-robin schedule every year would put the winner of the first game against the loser of the first game when they played. So you've got a grudge match instantly where the victor wants to hold on to their preferential position and the defeated team wants to improve their position. And the best way they can do it is knocking off the team that beat them earlier in the year. I think it would be a a great championship game. I guess more importantly for folks that like to watch the college football playoff system, that would give you one more data point for the ranking of the top four teams to go into the playoffs. So I think it's an interesting possibility. Uh, if you expand too big, then you have to get into divisions and have to have divisional playoffs. And uh, certainly that's what others do, and they, and they have a very successful financial model for doing it. I think the round-robin schedule has a lot to say for itself, uh, but a championship game would would be interesting in that same scenario. Okay, very good. Okay, so uh, speaking of games that people would care about, another uh, peer into the future, five, ten years from now, do, do the Longhorns play the Aggies? You know, Matthew, when you asked me to do this, I thought that question might come up. <laughs> <laughs> my, my dad was an Aggie class of 1940, a civil engineer, and... Uh, all four of his boys came here. So we had some really interesting Thanksgivings through the years. We really <laughs> did. Uh, of course, we play in other sports now. Uh, that, that game uh, has had so many uh, traditional aspects of it. Uh, you know, as played, it was, to my knowledge, always home and home. There may have been a neutral site back in the early days, but at least in recent years, it was home and home. And so you had some unbelievable traditions like the uh, Aggie band marching down Congress Avenue and uh, certainly the incredible uh, outpouring of uh, 
um, moral support after the bonfire collapse in 1999. It's, it's a, a storied uh, game of... Uh, uh, pitting, uh, in our case, family members against each other <laughs> on their loyalties. And uh, I think there will continue to be uh, pressure uh, from uh, many areas for that game to, to resume. Uh, it's not on the books uh, at present, and uh, schedules are going out, you know, 9 and 10, 11, 12 years because of the commitments that it takes to line up all of that. Uh, Conference schedules play a big part in that. At present, we have three uh, non-conference games that, uh, that we book. Uh, it's a, a great question. Uh, I'm not giving you a direct answer, and I'm not going to, but I, I think it is a real interesting uh, pro- possibility that uh, will continue to be in the, in, the, in the public mind. Okay, sounds good. Uh, pretty soon here, we'll be uh, opening it up to questions from the audience. So if you'd like to ask a question, uh, just get to one of those microphones. Um, and I will uh, uh, call on you in here a minute. But before we do that, I would like to kind of ask you a little bit about Charlie Strong. Sure. Um, you have um, publicly expressed uh, wholehearted support for him. Um, uh, I assume that nothing has changed about that since, since you last kind of publicly spoke about him. Can you just kind of tell me what it is that makes you believe so strongly in him and feel like he's, he's a good fit for the university? I'd, I'd be glad to. Uh, I first uh, became aware of Charlie Strong uh, when he was head coach at, at Louisville and since have learned about the great assistant jobs he had before that. Uh, he's, he's coached at a number of outstanding institutions and worked with uh, great coaches. Uh, but I first became aware of him when he was at Louisville. Uh, I liked what I saw his uh, defensive schemes do. And, of course, in Teddy Bridgewater, he had a great, great quarterback there. Uh, when he first came to the University of Texas in uh, the spring of 2014, uh, I was personally uh, honored to be asked to introduce him to a development board meeting here in Austin. Probably, he'd been here about a month, I guess, if I remember correctly. And I told him, yes, I'll be glad to do that. But I'm not going to read a bio from a printed page that, you know, has everything listed. I, I, will, I will do it if I can meet with Charlie Strong privately. So that was arranged. And uh, when you have time to meet with Charlie Strong, you are instantly taken with the uh, personal strength and integrity of this man. And uh, he is one who believes in uh, the value of an education. And he expresses that so forthrightly. He believes in the uh, student-athlete as the entire person. He, he wants to transform that young man into uh, someone who is educated, uh, is disciplined, and can live the kind of life that, I mean, Charlie, Charlie demands no more of his student-athletes than he demands of himself. This man works so hard and so long and so well at what he does and has done and is trying to do. So I became convinced of Charlie Strong, the man, uh, first. I, I met him in the spring and uh, before spring training and all that. But then to see the uh, way he's developed these young men uh, under times where, remember last year, uh, we all thought through the spring and summer that David Ash was going to be our quarterback. So then David was hurt and quite properly had to give up the sport from concerns over his long-term health and all that. But for a brand-new coach, one came into the, his first season at a new institution 
where he really did not recruit the players for his style of game, uh, I think Charlie did a remarkable job last year. And, and the, the results on the field, uh, yes, we had some losses we didn't like, but you can't look at a football season, uh, particularly in, in the college level where you've got recruiting classes that move their ways along, you can't look at it uh, just as a, a snapshot. It's gotta be looked at over time. And I remain convinced that Charlie Strong is the, uh, I'm not gonna say just the type of the man, he is the man that uh, I'm delighted to have leading our uh, football program here. I, I like him and support him as a man. I like him and support him as a coach and I respect him in, in all aspects of both of those positions. You talked a little bit about the challenges that he's faced, the, the David Ash situation, sure. um, obviously not having his players in place. I mean, is it fair to say that the results on the field so far haven't lived up to expectations or given what's happened, is that, is that not fair to pin on him at this point? I think that you, you, when you do look at uh, the losses this year, uh, Notre Dame, uh, you know, was number seven in the country, if I remember correctly, and, and uh, they uh, outplayed us. They just did. Uh, you look at uh, the uh, California and uh, Oklahoma State games, uh, a few plays here and there, and uh, we're, we'd currently be sitting uh, four and two instead of uh, two and four. You can't put a game just on one missed play, but certainly the kicking game in particular. Uh, I mean, when I played in the defensive line, uh, there were a lot of us around there, and maybe I made a mistake, but it was covered up by a bunch of other folks, you know, around me or whatever. But a kicker, a punter, a place kicker, the snapper, uh, all eyes are on that individual player when he does his job. And uh, that's been tough on uh, our snapper, it's been tough on our place kicker. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, those were, uh, those were tough games to lose, they really were. And, uh, you know, I was athletic director at that time, so I. I was 0-3 at one point, <laughs> so last week to get the Oklahoma victory, uh, Charlie was probably the happiest guy in the stadium, but I think I was number two. So it was, uh, uh, we've had some tough losses, but I'm, I'm excited about the team going forward. Uh, people have commented about how many freshmen we've been playing, and that's, that's true. We've, we've had some freshmen and sophomores playing a lot. On the other hand, they're no longer raw recruits out of high school. They've now got six tough games under their belts. That's almost as many as you used to have in the old days when we only played three varsity seasons. If you were going into your junior year, let's say, having played six games the year before as a sophomore, that was a lot of experience. And uh, we've got some uh, younger underclassmen who have now played a lot of football. So I expect the second half of this season to be uh, a continued phase of improvement in, in all aspects of the game. Uh, I really do. Did you have a question? Well, I do. Um, I'm Laurie McLaughlin. Um, I have to say of Steve Patterson's choices, I was very against selling alcohol at the games and iffy on whether or not to change out the ticketing system so that people who consistently sold their tickets didn't have the option of buying them back. But I will say both of those things have seemed to keep people in the stands, at least at the football games, um, which I think is a big improvement <laughs> over past seasons. Um, my question really is, what would you like to see, whether you're interim now, interim for life, 
or a, a athletic director, what would you like to see as your signature achievement? Uh, let me speak to the uh, uh, football season in particular because that's where we are. I'd like to see the, 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 the stands full of people enjoying the collegiate atmosphere. And to me, that means not just adults and not just college students, but uh, young people being there. Uh, I'd like to see parents bringing uh, 10-year-old children, their, their children that are in junior high school, that sort of thing, and letting them experience uh, the full uh, game day uh, activities, which it can include tailgating, the Longhorn Band, the cheerleading and palm squads, uh, Bevo, uh, regretfully we won't have Bevo the rest of this year given uh, his, his demise this week, but what a great mascot and symbol he, he has been and uh, someone that uh, I'm going to miss. I, I really enjoyed having my picture made with Bevo. The cannon, the health raisers, all the, all the things that uh, encompass the spirit of a collegiate football game where none of those people are being paid. They're, they're doing it for their love of music. And let's take the band. The alumni band is one of my favorite days of the year because you'll have five and six and seven hundred people from all over the state who come back because of their love of what they did and what they enjoyed and the camaraderie and friendship they have with their fellow alumni band members. Uh, I don't think we've lost that at all. I think it's, I think it's there but I want to continue to foster that and, uh, and help promote a family atmosphere of uh, generations coming back, which, which I see. You know, I get to go to the games and, and get in different places uh, in the stadium. I'm not restricted to my seat. I have something called an all-access pass, which I really like. I really <laughs> do. Although it wears me out having to come back and forth and uh, go in different places. But uh, when you see that, it gives me great comfort that the university will continue to thrive uh, going forward. On the alcohol issue, uh, I know there's been a lot of uh, divided opinions about that. Some of the law enforcement people have told me that they think that the sale of alcohol, uh, the beer and wine that's for sale in the stadium, has actually decreased intoxication because there's no longer uh, a reason for a student uh, or someone else to, to to, to binge at a tailgate or at a pregame party uh, in the hopes of sitting there for three hours without having anything to drink, that there tends to be more of a pacing. If it's someone who chooses to uh, drink alcohol, they, they, they tend to pace themselves. Uh, the other thing that I think we need to do a better job of at the department is uh, actually there, there is a number, a phone number that you can text your seat location to, if there's a problem with somebody around you, you can text uh, that number and uh, your location and the stadium personnel will come there, not with a heavy hand. We do have security there. The campus police and, and other law enforcement agencies are there. We prefer to have an usher come up first and ask somebody to behave if they're, if they're misbehaving or to help them, but law enforcement is available quickly. When I was first told that, the week of the Cal game, I said, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen those numbers. Well, they took me outside and pointed it, and all around the stadium there are signs that have those very instructions. 
I'd seen them for 20 years, however, and so I no longer saw them. It was one of those uh, signage, uh, psychology of signage things where I'm, I'm now so used to it, I didn't see it. And I think we need to do a better job of, of doing that because I have received a few complaints of uh, unruly behavior or uh, perhaps uh, somebody uh, being rude uh, that, that, that we need to deal with. And I, I, that's something I want to do because I do want the family atmosphere that I recall from a long time ago and that I enjoy now bringing my children and grandchildren. I, to me, that's another fundamental difference between the, the pro game and the college game. And thank you for asking me that. Thank you. We'll, we'll go over here and then come back to the set after that. Uh, well, Mike, uh, one thing that I wanted to ask about uh, at the start of this season, it was kind of unfortunate to see that some of the families that had season tickets alongside our section uh, had chosen to opt out this year. And when you were introduced uh, as the interim AD, I think that was one of the first things you mentioned, looking up into the stands and seeing the large pockets of empty seats. Uh, I know in years past, uh, they've resorted to walk around and try to hand out tickets last minute, right before kickoff, try to get some students into the stands. Are there any plans or do you have any ideas to try to outreach to maybe longtime season ticket holders that for whatever reason just decided this year uh, it's not for us, uh, to try to reach them and bring them back into the fold? Absolutely. Uh, as, as I've stated on several occasions, I like the stadium full. Uh, as a player, you draw energy from the, the crowd and the band and, and all that. They're just like a, uh, a rock star, a rock band draws energy from the crowd, but it becomes a two-way street. If you're, if, you're, if you're doing well on the field, it tends to energize the crowd and, and the crowd energizes the, the team. You, you like to play to a full house. That being said, uh, I think that some of the changes, particularly on uh, resale policies, uh, worked a hardship at times. Uh, for instance, you typically renew your seat position in the spring. Sometimes it's been April, sometimes May. So uh, somebody my age who likes to take children and grandchildren, you, you kind of guess on buying your tickets. You don't know what the, what the fall is going to bring. And increasingly, you know, I've had tickets and my children say, well, we've got play practice, soccer practice, fall ball, t-ball, whatever it is. But that being the case, when, when, you, when tickets can't be put back into the resale market, uh, you end up with an empty seat. And uh, that's something I am looking very hard at. Uh, I understand some of the arguments about uh, discounted tickets being resold in years past and all that. And uh, but I think, I think maybe this uh, present situation has been harsh on people who, in good conscience, bought their tickets last year or decided not to renew for whatever reason. And it's something that uh, I want our stakeholders, uh, because they tend to be generational in support. Usually people who buy season tickets renew them year after year after year. And I want that to continue, but that'll mean reaching out to some of these folks who chose not to renew and see why they chose that and uh, what we can do about it. But just to state it plainly, I do like a full house. I really do. It's more fun to play in. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Parent. I'm Eric Goodman from Texas Student Media here. Um, President Fenves has been pretty vocal in his opposition to financial compensation for student athletes, apart from scholarships and cost of attendance coverage. Um, with your, you obviously have a different perspective as a former student athlete. Uh, how does your view differ or is similar to that? Uh, you know, the uh, aspects of much of what you're asking about are dependent on, of course,
court action, and I think that uh, some of the lawsuits around the country that deal with uh, payment for name, image, likeness, things like that, are th those lawsuits are still out there, and uh, a lot of that will depend on what what court uh, action is taken in the future. Uh, personally, uh, I like the fact that our students are here to uh, receive an education and the other aspects of their uh, maturation process that I've described. Uh, full cost of attendance, of course, is, is part of it now. Uh, I guess I'll have to see what the, what the, the court action may bring about. Uh, on the other hand, at the Division 1A athletic directors meeting I mentioned earlier, uh, there was discussion of the athletic directors and the institutions and the NCAA becoming more proactive in anticipating things like that so that we're not always reacting to what a given court order somewhere may do uh, as opposed to being involved on the front end with uh, legislation or uh, association activity that looks at it. I personally uh, don't want college athletes to be professional athletes for the reasons I've stated. Thank you. Right, we've got uh, just about a minute left, so uh, one more question, but we'll, we'll try to make it quick. Mike, you got to have the last question from our generation. <laughs> I, I'll start out by saying that in terms of the San Antonio alumni where I'm from, uh, you're the greatest thing that's happened to the program in a very long time. Our friends Marty Wenders and others from your generation think you're doing a hell of a good job and are thrilled to death that you're there. I, I want to ask you a question, though, that you touched on earlier, and it, it comes from uh, my next-door neighbor at Lake LBJ, where I'm going to after the next session. His wife's celebrating her 80th birthday. He's 84. He graduated from the UT Engineering School about 60 years ago, uh, ran track in intramurals, has been a longhorn junkie forever. But what he has – and now he's at an age where because of health he can't come sure. in – to the games and uh, but he's one of those 20 million who still regularly buys Longhorn apparel for grandchildren and great grandchildren. His comment to me as we've drunk a beer on his porch several times at the lake has been a concern you hear from a lot of alumni and that is I know as a business guy you got to raise 160 million dollar budget every year and plus but there is a perception out there among people like him that the focus has become too much on the charging for stuff and not enough about the experience that you've alluded to. How do you balance the need on the one hand to meet your budget, to raise the money from alumni, to build new facilities, and on the other hand, not send out a message that says all we care about is what's in your wallet? I think that uh, some changes that have occurred in recent years on the uh, focus of the Longhorn Foundation have, have worked in the right direction. Uh, we're not just uh, a transactional type uh, department uh, focused on selling tickets. Obviously, we do sell tickets. We have to. That's the way that you know, a given revenue sport uh, like football or basketball uh, uh, supports not only its specific program but the other uh, what they call non-revenue sports or Olympic sports that, that uh, can't perform in front of 100,000 people. And the change that I think we've uh, engendered and continue to focus on is the concept of philanthropic giving, uh, which is 
directed toward endowments so that uh, operating expenses of a given program, let's just, let's just take golf for instance. There's been talk about endure, uh, endowing the golf program. Uh, obviously, football would be the most expensive to, to endow because of the number of people and the type of equipment that, that has to be used. But uh, I think moving in that direction where uh, individual donors can direct the, not only the placement of their dollars, but the use of that philanthropic gift. And it dovetails pretty neatly with uh, some philanthropy uh, discussions that I was privileged to hear some years ago that people my age and younger prefer to uh, give money, whether it's church, school, charity, whatever, prefer to give money in a way that they know the impact of it. Uh, We've seen that in, in politics as well, where some people say, well, I'll give money to support a phone bank, but I'm not going to pay for bumper stickers. So there, there's much more specialized, directed giving now. And that then puts responsibility on someone who sits, as I do, to, to be a good steward of what those funds are. Uh, I think that the uh, uh, increasing commercialization, if you will, of, of sports across the board when you've got uh, daily fantasy football games, uh, all sorts of things that did not exist 20 years ago that now uh, generate lo a lot of dollars for somebody advertising or running a website or something like that. I think we're going to see uh, a lot of things continue to, I mean, things we haven't even conceived of are going to be on the scene in five years or 10 years, but that's why a, a targeted endowment where somebody says, I want this money to always pay for baseball, or I want to give something that will pay for generations of tennis. I think that's a fundamental change that we're seeing take place, certainly at the University of Texas, but also at some other institutions that counteract the uh, cash on the barrel head for today uh, activity that your, that your friend uh, describes, and, and that he's certainly seen happen over his, his lifetime. Okay, well, we have gone past our time, so, but thank you very much to Mike Perrin, and thank you all for coming. Thank you. My pleasure.